Welcome to Have You Heard, the AABP podcast. My name is Dr. Fred Gingrich, and I'm the executive director of AABP. Hey, have you heard of 3-nitro-oxypropanol? Stay tuned to listen to Dr. Sarah Place from Colorado State University update us on this new molecule and discuss current research on its use to directly reduce enteric methane emissions from cows. What is the contribution of greenhouse gas emissions attributable to the beef and dairy industry in the U.S.? And how can we further reduce those emissions to mitigate methane emissions? 3-NLP directly decreases methanogenesis in the rumen by 30 to 50%. We will walk through some of the research on its use, challenges, and opportunities for our industry to continually decrease the impact we have on climate change. Our industry has a great environmental stewardship story to tell, and that story will continue to get better, and hopefully that will include the use of 3NOP. Welcome back to our podcast, Sarah. Uh, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself, please? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Sarah Place. I'm currently an associate professor in animal sciences at Colorado State University and affiliated with a group called AgNext, um, which is solely focused on sustainable solutions in animal agriculture, a multidisciplinary group. Um, before that, I was with Alanco Animal Health, uh, the chief sustainability officer there for a couple of years, and uh, also spent some time at National Cattlemen's Beef Association, running the sustainability research program there. And prior to that, spent about four years on faculty at Oklahoma State University, uh, focusing on sustainable cattle production and measuring methane emissions, which is what I'm back doing now as well. Very interesting uh, area of research that affects, you know, what we do uh, as veterinarians. And so we're going to talk today uh, about um, relatively new molecule and uh, what its impacts might be on improving the sustainability of uh, beef and dairy production. Uh, you know, and, and sometimes it can be uncomfortable for us in our industry to say, yeah, we, we contribute to climate change. Everything humans do does. Uh, so let's talk a little bit first, Sarah. Can you update our members on what are the sources of greenhouse gas emissions that can be attributed to beef and dairy production? Yeah. So if we think about it from a production standpoint, so everything that goes into producing cattle and the meat and milk that comes from those systems, along with all the other products, right, leather and pharmaceuticals and everything else, um, there's a few buckets of emissions basically that are similar across beef and dairy. Um, so the first is direct emissions that come from either the animals themselves or the manure. And so kind of as we'll talk about today, enteric methane, the methane that naturally gets produced from the cattle, um, tends to be the biggest bucket for both dairy and beef from a full production perspective. Uh, but there's also methane and nitrous oxide that can come from the animal's manure, whether it's managed in a dry lot situation as more in a feedlot or um, on a dairy where you have more um, liquid manure management systems, you tend to get more methane um, from those systems as compared to a dry lot. So that's kind of the direct emissions bucket. 
And then from a standpoint of other emissions, there's everything that goes into producing cattle, right? So we have, of course, feed and the emissions associated with feed production, which, of course, can include CO2 from burning diesel and tractors and other equipment, um, but also nitrous oxide emissions that come from soil. And then a fairly minor um, contributor would be all the, the electricity or fuel use on site, right? Driving mixer wagons, um, lighting, running a milking parlor, et cetera. The energy required for that uh, is also included in, in that whole picture of sources of emissions from a production system standpoint for beef and dairy. And, and uh, let's talk a little bit. So we do produce greenhouse gases when we're making beef when we're making dairy products uh you know we've we we're all aware of some of the you know the the language out there and the accusations that agriculture is the biggest driver of climate change we've seen the headlines so what is the percent of annual greenhouse gas emissions in the United States that is attributed to beef and dairy production yeah, so if we go back to those buckets I just mentioned, we think about those direct emissions. Um, the EPA kind of gives us a good estimate every year on what those enteric methane and manure emissions contribute as a percent to the total U.S. Um, so if we look at it from a standpoint of beef cattle alone are somewhere around a little over 2% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Mainly that's coming from the enteric methane um, that's produced by the 80-plus million um, beef type animals in the US. And then from a dairy perspective, it's a little less than 1% of emissions directly coming from dairy cattle. And again, more of that is coming from enteric, but also a little bit more and a higher percent contribution from manure, again, just because of those liquid uh, systems. So that's the direct emissions estimate. And again, that's straight from the EPA. That's kind of the official government data. So you add those two together, you're looking around 3% directly coming from cattle in the U.S. Um, If we add in the feed and everything else, right, now we get up a little bit higher percent for beef. It's somewhere around like 3.7% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions when we include feed production, all the inputs that go into the system from that life cycle perspective. For dairy, it's around 2%. So we add those two together, we're under 6% of emissions. But again, that's including um, all the feed, all the inputs from fertilizer, um, transportation affiliated, et cetera, uh, with the system. So not nothing, but also clearly not the largest source, right? Uh, The biggest source of emissions in the U.S. is burning fossil fuels since we're uh, such a post-industrial society, right? We we have a lot of transportation, a lot of emissions from energy production in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. And I think our members and listeners to this podcast, familiarize yourself with those numbers. They are from the EPA and advocate for our industries. When you see people saying that, uh, correct them and give them the actual data uh, that Sarah has provided here and understand that we do contribute uh, to climate change uh, through the production of greenhouse gases and methane. Um, but uh, it is not uh, uh, the certainly not the primary driver of climate change. And Sarah, can you talk a little bit? You know, you're, we're talking about methane, um, but fossil fuels, that's more CO2. What's can you talk a little bit about what the difference in those, uh, you know, two gases are? 
Yeah, 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 indeed. So there are different greenhouse gases and, and kind of the three main ones that we tend to talk about from human activity and then also that are relevant to agriculture are CO2, so carbon dioxide, methane, and then nitrous oxide. And so if we compare just CO2 and methane, there are some differences, right? So methane is a more potent greenhouse gas, meaning it can trap heat in the atmosphere more effectively than CO2, uh, pound for pound, if that makes sense. Um, and over a hundred year time frame, we tend to say, you know, methane is about 28 times more potent at trapping heat than CO2. Um, but the other part of it is how long the gas sticks around the atmosphere. And so methane is not around in the atmosphere for a hundred years. It's actually got a half-life of around 10 years meaning, you know, any given day when there's a bovine out there grazing, eats some grass, um, ferments some of that, and some of that carbon goes out into the atmosphere as methane, about 10 years uh, time, you know, half that methane will be broken down in the atmosphere back to CO2. So methane is a short-lived gas. It basically has a pretty fast cycle time in the atmosphere. The reason that's relevant is just anything that we do uh, to mitigate methane emissions basically has a stronger uh, signal in terms of actually showing up in atmospheric concentrations faster than CO2. Um, and the reason I mentioned the concentrations in the atmosphere, that's actually what matters with climate change. All these you know, topics that we're talking about is how much of these greenhouse gases is actually in the atmosphere. That's really what determines the warming potential. So just know methane is short-lived and that short-lived nature is both a, a blessing in terms of if we do things to mitigate emissions, we get a bigger bang for our buck in terms of um, reducing our warming impacts faster. Um, but the flip side is true too. If we increase methane emissions, it shows up in the atmosphere quicker as well. So that's just kind of that dual-edged um, sword of methane is it's short-lived, it cycles fast. So uh, it's, there's an opportunity there for us to basically try to decrease warming in the long run, but then paying attention to CO2 um, from a big picture perspective, that's really the, the elephant in the room and the gas that's actually caused most of the warming is CO2. What we're talking about today for our listeners is our ability to decrease that enteric methane emission. Uh, and there's a, a new uh, product uh, called 3-NOP or 3-nitro-oxy-propanol. Propanol, and uh, Let's talk a little bit. Let's start off. Uh, what is the mechanism of action of 3NOP and how much does it reduce uh, that direct enteric methane emission from the animal? Yeah. So I think it's good to take a step back. I mean, your listeners are pretty familiar with the whole rumen fermentation process, right? But just to, to ground ourselves in that mechanism of action, of course, methane is a normal and um, expected byproducts of rumen fermentation, right? So we have all those um, carbon-containing uh, plants that are being fermented, um, getting fermented into volatile fatty acids. And some of those volatile fatty acid pathways um, produce a lot of hydrogen gas or reducing equivalents um, that need to go somewhere in the rumen to keep it functioning. And so one of those major sinks of the hydrogen um, is methanogenesis or the generation of methane. And so methanogens will take those reducing equivalents, take that hydrogen, and actually use it for their own energy metabolism to um, typically reduce either CO2 or, um, 
or uh, methyl groups or other other uh, carbon backbones to um, methane. And so think about it from that standpoint is basically methanogenesis isn't directly fermentation, but it's taking the waste products of fermentation and putting them into something that's useful for those bugs, for the methanogens, those archaea, um, but not... Um, not inhibiting rumen fermentation, right? So a normal part of that ecosystem. Um, so when 3-nitroxypropanol enters the equation, what does that molecule do, right? So it's a, it's a small molecule, and basically what it does is it inhibits or competitively inhibits um, the activity of the enzyme that's basically the last step of that whole process of taking, um, say, reducing CO2 down to, um, to uh, methane. Right, so um, the enzyme itself is abbreviated MCR, but methyl coenzyme M reductase, um, and so basically this um, molecule 3-nitrooxypropanol acts as a structural analog of methyl coenzyme M, which is uh, the, the coenzyme that would bind um, at the MCR site. Right, so basically it's it's con- competitively inhibiting. Um, that process, and so what what happens is we're we're kind of slowing down that whole methanogenesis process, and we're saying, hey, this hydrogen doesn't have this sink um, to effectively go into as as normal, right, into this methane production process. So we try to push that hydrogen or those reduction reduction in equivalents somewhere else, right? Um, and so from a standpoint of what does that actually translate to a whole animal from the system perspective, right, uh, in the rumen ecosystem? Uh, the research has been done with 3-NOP. It depends on the diet type, depends on the dose, but typically you see around 30% reductions in methane in grams per head per day um, from dairy cows and from feedlot cattle. Some of those studies we've seen 50% uh, reductions or greater of methane emissions um, in grams per head per animal. So uh, kind of a long-winded explanation, but basically just know it's, it's targeting that last enzyme in the whole process and, and basically trying to move hydrogen from uh, producing methane to alternative places. Yeah, really cool science there. And uh, all of us agree that the rumen is just a wonderful uh, uh, organ uh, that enables us to produce these products. And what a great discovery uh, that we can reduce that enteric methane by that amount. Uh, Many of our listeners are familiar with how ionophores such as monensin change the rumen microbial population and, and kind of shifts that uh, VFA production. Um, how is this, how is 3NOP different uh, from that? Is it just the fact that it competitively inhibits one enzyme? Does it change the microbial population? Yeah, that's a great question, right? So you can kind of think about ionophores as, as taking a, a, you know, back a couple of steps, right? They're really trying to shift the fermentation um, that's taking place within the rumen via impacting some of those um, bacterial populations, right? And we know that classic um, impact of, say, menensin is increasing propionate production relative to acetate by, you know, favorably uh, giving a giving a competitive advantage, basically, to those propionate producing bacteria within the rumen. Um, and yeah, and that's where three NOP is a little bit different. It's almost taking it down a couple steps down the highway, right? Of instead of directly impacting those microbial populations, um, those bacteria, uh, we're targeting more of the archaea, right? Um, in terms of those guys that are taking care of the waste products from these bacteria. So 
um, there is a lot of interesting research on some of those microbial shifts, um, and we, we can kind of get into that a little bit more. I think that's one of those areas of exciting research to, to kind of suss out more of the impacts of 3-nitroxypropanol, but we do see some of those impacts um, in the rumen that you would expect, which is because propionate is a hydrogen sink, propionate production, um, there has been a fairly consistent um, you know, uh, set of results in, in the literature of increasing propionate relative to acetate when feeding um, 3-nitroxypropanol in those, those studies that have been done thus far. Yeah, and we're going to talk about uh, some of the research that is out there on this product, uh, and we're going to provide a link in our show notes for uh, some of the articles that, that our listeners can access uh, on the web. But let's talk a little bit about first lactating dairy cows, Sarah. Uh, the studies, what do they demonstrate as far as is there any effect? You know, we, we've said 30% reduction in enteric methane uh, emissions. Is there any effect on, you know, intakes, uh, performance, or any other measures that veterinarians or producers and consultants might look at? Yeah, so I think one of those things, uh, I kind of mentioned that in passing, right, is we know there's there are definitely dose-dependent effects and diet effects, right, of this molecule. Um, and so, so that's some of the variation that as, as your listeners check out some of the published literature, right, as you look through that, um, that's that's some of the, the sources of variation and, and different results that we see. There hasn't been necessarily any strong impact on level of intake in any of the lactating dairy cow um, studies, right? Um so that's that's one of those things to point out that there's not necessarily any um, negative or positive impact on changing intake um, in any of the published literature. In terms of performance, there's a bit of a mixed bag, right? There's a few studies that would show um, basically increased component production, increased milk fat production. Um, there's a couple studies that have shown um, a negative impact, but relatively overall, um, again, there's that slight that slight increase in propionate production um, that that we see, and and that kind of shows up again in those studies where we see that improved performance. The one caution I'd just say from a scientific perspective, though, is most of these this research has been done, uh, particularly in the lactating dairy cows, with a mind focused on measuring methane emissions. And so, from a statistical power analysis standpoint, if we you know, even if we expected or postulated a couple percent improvement in, you know, milk production efficiency from this product, um, there's not been a lot of studies that have been powered sufficiently to find such a such an impact, if that makes sense uh, yeah. to your listeners. So, yeah, that's, that's one of those exciting things to yeah. hopefully we do more research to better understand um, those those nuances of the, of the molecule. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just so our listeners are aware, too, and maybe should have said this earlier in the podcast, it, this product is not currently approved in the United States. But if and when it does get approved, uh, hopefully we'll have some of those large, you know, research trials uh, uh, conducted. Lots of lots of opportunities there to see what else we can gain from the product mm -hmm. besides that direct uh, decrease in enteric and methane emissions, which is, I believe, pretty much been proven at this point that that it does decrease uh, 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 those emissions directly. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. And, and that's where, you know, just using, you know, thinking about it from an energetic standpoint, right, we are reducing the energy loss as methane. So, you know, we would expect we're going to be able to capture it somewhere else um, within the yeah. animal and not, not just lose it all as hydrogen emissions from the rumen. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the cow-calf industry. Um, all of us are aware that uh, the majority of those animals in the United States and, and Canada are, 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 are housed in a pastoral system uh, and uh, an entirely different management system than our confinement dairy herds. Uh, talk a little bit about does the product have application in cow-calf? And maybe what are some of the challenges, you know, in, in, in being able to administer a molecule like this in a, in a pastoral system and some opportunities for research there? Yeah, so one of the things that we do know um, from the current research of 3NOP is that it um, is metabolized fairly rapidly within the rumen. Um, and so there's been some, some good research there looking at um, – you know, either dosing directly in the rumen or, or animals consuming 3NOP, um, it doesn't stick around too long. So from a standpoint of application currently, um, delivering it in a total mixed ration where it's a component of the diet um, that the animal's consuming continuously seems to have a high efficacy, again, of reducing methane. So, of course, if we extend that out to cow-calf, to stalker cattle that are out grazing, um, the application of it will will have to come down to if um, it's possible to you know put the the molecule in a way that is more slow release or in a way that can be um, accessed by the animal in a more continuous manner, right? So um, you know, and that's that's more of the the question of the the engineering of it, right? Of can it be put in a um, in a slow release formulation? Can it be put in a bolus, etc.? Um, to actually have more practical application in those more grazing settings where we're not going to be able to see those animals every single day, right, and feed them. Um, and I think that's this is uh, beyond just a 3NOP discussion, right? This is basically any kind of feed additive um, to reduce methane. That's a, that's a shared challenge is how do you deliver it in a practical and economic way that could scale up on the grazing side of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the Interesting papers that I uh, read before this podcast was on its application in pre-weaned calves and the possible potential that there would be a residual effect in those animals later uh, mm -hmm. in life. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so there is one study that is, as you mentioned, quite intriguing, right, of basically dosing animals, um, uh, you know, it's baby calves and then following them through, you know, not uh, administering 3NOP and just looking at the differences between those animals that were dosed and not dosed later in life. Um, and that one particular uh, research study found that um, the animals that were dosed early actually had lower methane emissions even later in life, right? Even not being, um, not feeding or not being exposed to that molecule for quite some time. So I think that's intriguing, and that's you know also just the bigger picture of better understanding the rumen microbiome and how it can potentially be programmed, if you will, earlier in life. Um, I think that opens up a lot of possibilities, both here in the U.S. from a standpoint of thinking through the you know the um, application of this in a grazing situation, but then also you can think about it even in developing countries, right, where they may share the same challenges of is there a way to basically expose animals early and just um, uh, have lower emissions throughout the rest of their life. I think that's that's research that hopefully we can uh, get replicated several times and better understand really what the mechanism of action is there and and uh, how promising that is. 
that is very interesting and very promising to to think about what we can do to those calves and and you know we think about that in a lot of other areas uh, outside of uh, methane impacts about how we can impact that that animal's lifetime productivity, but also their lifetime contribution uh, to climate change. So interesting for sure. And again, we'll share those links in our show notes. So I would encourage our members to dive deep into those articles and and, and review them. Uh, finally, Sarah, let's talk about uh, feedlots. Often they're, you know, really criticized by uh, some of the uh people that may be uh, not supportive of our industry and talk a little bit about the application of 3NOP in in a feed yard situation. And you said that there's a potential there for a 50% reduction in some studies in enteric methane production. Yeah, yeah. So one, I think it's good for us to take a step back and just think about this. You know, we're throwing out percentages, but we also have to think about the absolute reduction that's actually happening, right? So, of course, a, a dairy cow um, can produce basically, right, almost a pound of methane per day just because of her level of intake and that higher forage ration. Um, feedlot cattle are typically making a third to a quarter of what a dairy cow is making per day, right? So that's one of those context um, things to help us when we think about percent reductions. Um, But yes, typically we see a higher percent reduction in finishing cattle. Um, One, because typically the dose is higher um, that's fed to those animals. So um, somewhere around a you know, 1.5 to 2 grams per head per day plus, or just even a higher concentration um, in the ration itself compared to dairy um, cattle. That seems to be a fairly consistent um, finding in terms of the efficacy there. Um, And part of it is also, it it seems, uh, that diet type, again, has an impact. And basically, um, as NDF um, decreases in the diet and as um, we have more fermentable carbohydrates, Um, more digestible um, fiber, basically, as well, even in the diet, um, we tend to see a higher percent reduction of methane from this molecule. That's what the the evidence would say thus far. So that's where that 50% plus reduction is typically in those higher grain finishing diets uh, for feedlot cattle. But that's the, the important context there is they're already making far less methane per animal per day than a dairy cow in that situation. Good point. We always want to look at absolute numbers and not just percentages, but big opportunities there. Uh, again, I would encourage our listeners to become familiar not only with the numbers uh, as far as the amount of methane uh, and greenhouse gases that are produced by beef and dairy, but also uh, make sure that you're familiar with this molecule uh, and read some of these uh, research papers so you're ahead of the game if this product does come to market in the United States so we can talk to our clients about it and the people you hang out with in your community uh, to advocate for our industry. You know, Sarah, as we close up here, there's certainly a societal and global benefit to our industry to continue to improve environmental sustainability in beef and dairy production. That's been your entire career, I believe. So that's wonderful. But I think one of the things is when we're adding something to a diet, uh, you know, the the first thing the producer sometimes sees is this is going to cost me X number of cents per head per day, uh, which is appropriate. But talk a little bit about, you know, what is that benefit to the producer, uh, to continue to improve the sustainability of the products that they make. 
Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. So first and foremost, that's that's key, right? Is we gotta ground ourselves in the economic realities of this, right? And so that's one of the key things that we focus at here too at Colorado State Tech Next is, you know, if if we can come up with a solution but it's not scalable, it's doesn't make financial sense to a producer, then it's not really not really a solution, right? So the same is true here when we think about um, whether it's 3NOP or any intervention to reduce enteric methane, there's a few different ways we can think about trying to capture the value there and making sure that it's a positive ROI for the producer first. Um, so the one is that production efficiency potential benefit, right? So we talked about the dairy side of things. We didn't really touch on the, the feedlot side, but there has been some research that would show an improvement in feed efficiency um, when feeding this product on the beef side. And again, um, just knowing what we would know about Hey, if we're changing, you know, the energetics of the animal, where we're reducing energy loss as methane, um, you know, we would we would assume we would postulate that we're able to capture that energy um, more efficiently for the animal. And so that's some of that research that I think is exciting in saying, you know, even just strictly via production efficiency, does this product make sense, right? From that standpoint, um, I think the the further research and then the question on pricing, which um, the commercial producers of 3NOP will have to have to answer for for cattle customers, right? But that that will really determine that ROI. The the other part of it is the methane reduction itself, right? So that's kind of back to that conversation we had about absolute reductions generated per head really matters there, um, because that's where you can start to tie into carbon markets, right? So. Uh, methane, again, it's about 28 times more potent than CO2. And so basically what typically gets bought and sold in carbon markets are carbon dioxide equivalents. So for, again, every pound of methane we can reduce, it's basically 28 pounds of CO2. Um, and so, you know, we can do the math on that of thinking through based on your herd size, based on the reduction you would expect, how many um, metric tons or a thousand kilograms of CO2 equivalents reduced you can generate. And that's important because that's really what, you know, carbon markets are based on in terms of what gets bought and sold. So I think that's the other intriguing opportunity is as, you know, hopefully as this product gets approved and it becomes commercially available, um, those markets will develop alongside these new solutions that are out there um, because there's lots of companies looking for um, buying either carbon offsets to say, hey, you know, say I'm an airline company, I can't go to zero uh, emissions, right? Um, but what can I buy offsets of some other industry that's making good on on reducing emissions? Or carbon insets, which would be, you know, say the equivalent of a milk processing or a dairy company um, paying for reductions within their supply chain. So I think that's the other way for this to make economic sense. Um, and, and kind of a derivation of that is just thinking through um, you know, can you can you market products that are basically, say, low carbon milk or whatever it may be uh, labeled and try to increase basically the value or the total dollars coming into the industry to to fund um, additional input costs such as feed additives like this. So I think there's a few different options, um, but just as the science around how we actually mitigate emissions consistently and and with this promising product, uh, 3NOP, as this is going through approval process and still not commercialized, I think alongside that, what we're seeing is the development of these different ways to monetize these opportunities. But um, first and foremost, I think that has to be, we have to think about that first, right? If it doesn't make economic sense, then, you know, it's it's intriguing, but it's not going to, it's not going to help, right? Because we're just potentially in, increasing input costs for folks. So, um 
But if we do have solutions that work, what a great way to, again, demonstrate that the industries, the beef and dairy industries are proactive and, um, you know, doing our part. Even if we're a small contributor, we're only producing, you know, 2% again on the beef side, 1% less than 1% on the dairy side from enteric methane. Small contribution, but if we can show we're reducing our emissions, that's, that's also a huge positive. I agree completely, Sarah. Thank you so much for being a part of our podcast uh, and taking the time to update our listeners on uh, 3NOP. You know, I, I like how you use the word opportunity several times because I always like to think that there are so many opportunities uh, in the beef and dairy industry and for consultants and veterinarians in those industries. And I think one of the things that I would ask our listeners to do is share the good story, the good environmental stewardship story that both beef and dairy producers have to tell. Uh, there are so many examples of how we continue to improve uh, in all aspects of our industry, from welfare to environmental sustainability, production, uh, uh, antimicrobial stewardship. Don't be afraid to share uh, those great stories. Familiarize yourself with those numbers that we are total beef and dairy. Uh, direct enteric methane emissions are less than 3% uh, of greenhouse gases. But there are opportunities for us to demonstrate continual improvement in our industry, which is a good goal for all of us to have. I really look forward to future research uh, about the application of this product, the benefit uh, to the environment, as well as uh, learning how we can make this a positive economic return for our producers so uh, we can uh, influence them to incorporate these uh, new technologies into their production system. Sarah, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.